We are continuing our series today called Exploring Healthy Christianity. Last week, Kyle shared a vision for a healthy community, so would you welcome us in uh, welcoming the talented Kate as we wrap up our series and talk about the mission of God. Oops, sorry. Holy moly. Holy moly. Not really sure where to put this. Just gonna... Yeah. Good morning. A long time ago, in a kingdom far, far away, I belonged to Medieval Fight Club. Really, it was a collegiate chapter of something called Belagarth, which is a nationally recognized combat sport. Thank you. But Medieval Fight Club says it all. People in linen costumes and leather armor whacking each other with giant padded sticks on the quad at the University of Illinois. Uh, One semester in grad school, I had a lot of time on my hands, which is wild now, and I thought, hey, why not? And and as I participated in this club and experienced the catharsis of of whacking people, and sometimes trees, with with padded weapons, uh, I was quickly sucked into recruiting new members. Because in Belagarth, recruitment is so important, and it was highly strategic. We had message threads and meetings long before the start of the school year. Uh, We printed and gave out hundreds, maybe thousands of flyers. Um, I went to every building on campus. The U of I is a large campus to post flyers. Uh, We had strategic hangouts at the start of the semester so people would feel included. Um, We carpooled freshmen to Joanne Fabrics and like had them buy fabric and then we took them to a house and we taught them how to sew their own costumes because you have to wear costumes in Medieval Fight Club. Um, We hustled to talk to new people and and get them to feel involved. We connected them to mentors and tried to paint this picture of what it could look like. To, to have a vivid, exciting, adrenaline-filled life in this sport. And I remember one day, maybe it was at one of those, those sewing meetings where I was surrounded by freshmen with sewing machines, which is really scary. Um, I looked around and I thought, oh my goodness, this is just what my church does. We don't have foam wacky sticks, but we're doing the same things to recruit new members. And I had an existential crisis. What's the difference between my church and Belagarth? Is outreach just luring people into a club? Is outreach just recruitment? So let's step back for a second. Um, We're at the end of a three-week series called uh, Healthy Christianity, where we've been using this, this image of a triangle to talk about how a flourishing life following Jesus includes three different sets of relationships. An intimate relationship with God, where his life fills everything we do, and that's up. Uh, A life intertwined with other followers of Jesus, where we share in one another's joys and griefs, that's in. And then a life of love and service that invites other people to participate in God's mission to restore the world. That's the outside. These dimensions are all meant to be balanced. That's the point of the triangle. Um, It's like a three-legged stool. If you take away one of the legs, it's not gonna stand up. All of these systems work together for our flourishing. So today, we're talking about out. 
our relationship with those who don't follow Jesus and uh, the mission of God. And so in the spirit of full disclosure, I think you should see my triangle so you can get a sense of where I'm coming from here. Uh, it may be a little difficult to interpret. So we've got a pretty strong up dimension here, and the in dimension is, is pretty good. Out, I thought about making it a little spring, spiraling away, to tell you out is my weakest area by far. Um, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. You just heard one. There have been times where it's been hard not to feel like outreach is just recruitment. Um, some of it has to do with my, my church history. Um, in the church that I grew up in, in high school, uh, the mission of God was something called visitation. Have any of you heard of visitation? Yeah, okay, so you, you go out and you knock on doors in the community, and you, you share a presentation with them about the gospel. Um, and it's good, but, oh, it felt so scary. Um, I felt a lot of anxiety because this is what good Christians did, but I never felt good at it. I felt like I was, I was whacking someone on the head, like, don't you want Jesus? Here's my presentation. Um, actually, one time, I mailed a gospel tract to a friend because I felt like I needed to give her a full presentation of the gospel, but I just didn't want to see her face when I said it, so I mailed her a tract. Um, and so maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. That's great. As I moved into college and graduate school, then baggage started to grow up around the term mission. I took history classes, I talked to other people, and I saw how mission has often been a cover for people in organizations who wanted to just roll in and exploit another culture or person. The gospel really was a wacky stick. And between all of that, my fears and my baggage, I'm going to put this back, I don't think I'll need it anymore. I've lived in shame for large portions of my life, that I would just never really participate in the mission of God, that outreach wasn't for me, that I wasn't good at it, I wasn't built for it. But God hasn't let me go because all of these pieces work together and God wants us all to flourish. And so through the course of my life, God has gently tugged at that and reminded me, mission is for you too, Kate. And so I want to tell you right now, whatever your personality or your history or your fears or doubts or baggage, the mission of God is for you. You were made for the mission of God. And that mission is so much bigger and more beautiful than the 2D pictures you might have based on your past and the fears that you might feel. In fact, if you miss out on participating in this outward dimension of our life with God, something will always feel missing from your life of faith. It was God's original intention for you to take part in his gracious stewardship for everything. And following Jesus means joining in God's mission to restore all things. That's what this out dimension is. And so, this morning, let's go on a journey through the mission of God. We're going to break it into two parts. First, what is the mission of God? Is it visitation? What is God really inviting us into? And second, how do we live into this mission? What does it look like to carry it out based on the picture we see in the life of Jesus? Those are the two parts. What is the mission? How do we carry it out? So let's dive in. What is the mission of God? To answer that, we have to go back to where it all began. 
Um, we get our first glimpse of the mission of God in the book of Genesis, um, in the, the command that God gives to the first humans in Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image, it says. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the first clue to our mission is the fact that we are made in the image of God. Here's what that would have meant to someone in the ancient Near East, uh, listening to Genesis for the first time. The image of God in that world did not refer to everybody. Um, Usually, image of God referred to a king or a ruler. Because royalty, those were the representatives of the gods. Kings were the ones who carried out the will of the gods on earth. And so when Genesis says that humanity is made in the image of God, it says that all of us have a royal calling. We represent God on the earth. We are charged to carry out the mission of the true king. So these verses in Genesis, they, they say that we are to have dominion over all things. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? It sounds to me like that wacky back gospel again, that we're just subduing things. And so I want to clarify what it really looks like to be the image of God, to have dominion, uh, because Genesis 2 fills in that picture a little bit more for us. Uh, Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, Another version says to cultivate it and care for it. So the context of dominion, of our mission, it isn't an empire, it's a garden. Maybe something like this image. Uh, It's hard to find images of the Garden of Eden online. Can you believe that? So ruling in this context, it meant cultivation and care. Does anyone here garden by any chance? Okay, yeah. Those of you who garden, you know uh, it's hard work, um, but, but a lot of it, it's things like maybe it's planting new seedlings. Maybe it's training vines to grow. It's not about exploitation, but gently pointing life in the direction where it flourishes. Uh, and that is what it meant to have dominion. It was to help life flourish the way the ultimate king intended it. And that is what's in your DNA. Mission isn't exploitation, but cultivation. It's not using things or people. It's not treating things as projects. It's serving others. It's seeking the life of the world, which can happen in the context of of sharing the gospel, and we'll talk about that, but can also be so much more. So that's that's our mission at the beginning, to promote flourishing in the world, But when you look at the world around you, does it feel like it's flourishing? I don't think I have to convince you that the world is broken. All you have to do is skim the headlines on Yahoo News, if you use Yahoo. 
What about you? Do you feel like you're flourishing right now? When I think about just the amount of tremendous pain and grief that that our church is going through right now, that a lot of people are experiencing, it does not feel like everything is the way it's meant to be, does it? It doesn't feel like a garden. It feels like a wasteland. And that's because early on, something went wrong with that mission to help all things flourish. Because at the very outset, the very first humans, those images of God intended to carry out his good rule, tried to stage a coup to take over as the ultimate authorities. They didn't want to be images, they wanted to actually be the king. And from that point on, the beautiful world that they were created to steward and empower started to unravel. Everything since then has become disconnected from the life of God. And if you disconnect something from its life source, it withers. I have plants, um, and it's really clear which ones I forget to water. They hang on for a while, but but it's a half-life. And that disconnection, that half-life, it's replicated itself in all of us who have followed on the first humans. Now, I want to clarify something that's really important. After the first human staged a coup, they didn't stop being the image of God. The term is still used in Genesis to refer to humanity. We're still made in the image of God to represent the king. The original dignity and the plan given to us, it hadn't stopped. But we've no longer been able to carry out that plan in quite the same way. It feels like something is broken I've been thinking about it, and it's a bit like waking up from a traumatic brain injury and realizing that you can't use your limbs. You have the memories, you know what you want to do, but you can't get there anymore. And the work that we do in the world often feels hard, doesn't it? The first humans experienced pushback from their environment in the form of thorns. And for us, generations of sinful and twisted choices have distorted our world and resulted in systems that that use and harm others instead of seeking life. The Bible is honest that all is not as it should be in the mission of God. And the story of humanity, if you read the Old Testament, is full of people who are called to be the image of God but fail to live up to that calling. And yet throughout the Old Testament, we also get these glimpses that God intends something different. God drops hints of a return to the beauty and flourishing of the Garden of Eden. That this mission is not over yet. Um, If you read the Old Testament prophets, one of their favorite images for God's plan is of gardens blooming in wastelands. Uh, Here's one example of a passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, where God uses that imagery to describe how he's going to restore his broken people. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, 
and caused you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then skipping ahead to verse 35. People will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Think about the devastation and the brokenness that, that, that you've probably pictured in your life and in the world. Think about hearing that promise. God will do it. No matter what we have done, no matter how hopeless it looks, God is relentlessly a restorer. He will restore that capacity to be the images of God that was broken long ago, and he will restore the garden itself. The mission of God has become a rescue mission. And that mission takes a turn in first century Palestine, when a man named Jesus bursts onto the scene to declare that the king is taking his realm back. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew describes it like this. Matthew says, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus' ministry involved two big things. He, he proclaims the gospel. Gospel is good news. And it's the gospel of the kingdom. Um, for people in the first century, uh, a kingdom is not so much a place, but a power. When Jesus says that the kingdom is coming, he's saying that God is exercising his power. He's starting to rule again in a realm that has long been controlled by the enemy. So Jesus proclaims but he also demonstrates that the kingdom has come by healing people, exercising the power of the king to restore what has been broken. Because Jesus is more than just an image of God. He is the image of God, the king in a body, come to set things right. The rescue mission is an inside job. And it's not something that Jesus does alone. So let's do a thought experiment. I'd like you to put on your imagining caps as a college teacher. Imagine that you are a fisherman in this time in first century Palestine. You, you, live, um, you live in a kind of a group that is oppressed by a larger political empire, and you've grown up hearing these legends and stories about a king who's going to come and make things better for your people. And lately, when you've been you know, out, on the, out on the docks, Uh, you're hearing stories about someone who's going around your area and saying that that God is is exercising his reign again, and this guy is healing people, like he's doing something wild and different to show that maybe restoration is possible. You're like, this is interesting. I, I fish. This is my thing. One day, you're out on the boat, you're throwing a net in the sea, and you squint at the shore, And there he is, it's that guy. And he's looking at you. And all of the hopes and questions and stories you've heard, they rush into you and you think, is this it? And then he talks to you and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You've spent 
your whole adult life catching fish. You throw out a net, you see what swims into it. And Jesus upends all that. He invites you on a journey with him. And he says that this journey is going to be about going after people. Now imagine that you're on the road with Jesus for three years, day in and day out, getting intimate access to his life. You watch him touch the eyes of a blind person, and they can see. You watch him cast out demons that have eaten away at people for years. You watch him show compassion to societal outcasts. You hear him call out the religious leaders who have been using their influence to prey on other people. You listen to him tell stories that paint a picture of what God's rule will look like, of the compassion and integrity that God's followers will have. Jesus patiently responds to the questions you have. You have several. And he challenges your misconceptions. There are many. Everywhere you go on the road with Jesus, there is so much pain. One day, in the middle of a crowd, he, he pulls you aside, and you can see the compassion in his eyes. And he gestures at the people around you, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then a couple of days later, Jesus grabs you and someone else, and he pairs you up to start going out and doing the same work that he's been doing. Healing people, preaching. Clearly, you're supposed to be some sort of answer to that prayer. And Jesus gives you instructions as he sends you out. He says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. And this sounds wild to you. Like, you've seen Jesus do this. You haven't seen other people do this. But you go out and you do it. And God's power changes people. You see the power of the king at work in you. On the road with Jesus, you get used to suspicious looks and whispers wherever you go. He tends to upset the religious authorities. But then one day, things, things go wrong. He's seized by his enemies at a time you don't expect. There's a sham trial, and he's executed, just like that. You flee for your life, hiding in a locked room. All of the hope that you had, all of the things that you've seen, they fall to the ground. What was that? And you think in that moment with your king dead, maybe the brokenness is all there is. Maybe the king hasn't come back. And then a few days later, Jesus knocks on the door of your closet in that locked room. And he invites you out. And everything changes. Because at that point, you know that no power on earth will stop the mission of God that Jesus has started. Not even death. And then one day, as you're chilling on a mountain, Jesus gives you a new charge. One that will carry down into future generations is something we call the Great Commission. And it goes like this. All authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' physical presence leaves you soon, but the mission will go on now. And when God's spirit himself comes to fill you 40 days later at Pentecost, you discover you have all of the power in the world to do God's mission. You and his other followers, you're going to announce first to your city and then to the world that the king is reigning in Jesus and that he's on a mission to restore not just your community but all things. And you are going to invite people now to follow Jesus as his disciples and to live into this kingdom to experience the effects of his transforming power in their lives and to become fully functioning images of God who partner to heal and bless. The mission is going on, but now you are the agents. End thought experiment. Hopefully you see at this point, if you're a follower of Jesus, this story is yours. Maybe, maybe you don't, actually a large number of you do fish, but whether or not you're a fisherman, um, this story is yours because this is the mission of God today. This is what it looks like to live in that outward dimension. You're invited to live a life on the road with Jesus where he transforms you from the inside out as you experience his life. And you're called to step into your original role as a partner with the king in bringing his good reign into the world. And you're called to invite other people to partner in this. Outreach isn't recruitment. It's restoration. The mission to make disciples isn't recruiting into a social club. It's far more than sharing a presentation. It's going out into the world to seek its restoration. And so that's the answer to our question, what is the mission of God? We partner with Jesus in our words and our actions to restore what is broken by the fall. And we invite others to follow Jesus as disciples and be restored agents with us. Okay, so now we're finally ready to get to that question. How do we participate in this? Um, I want to very briefly suggest three principles that come out of the story that we've told from the Garden of Eden to the Mountain of the Great Commission. So three ways that, that God invites us to participate. First, we participate in this mission rooted in relationship with Jesus. If you think about just imagining what it would have been like to be his followers, he didn't just kind of send them out. They lived their lives with him. They experienced how he treated people. They saw his goodness and his authority. Um, he, he invited them to pray and to seek God to send out laborers, and all of those things shaped them and restored them into people who were able to themselves proclaim and heal. Everything those disciples did flowed from their life with Jesus. And I can tell you from personal experience, if you try to like work yourself into being an outreach person, if you try to grow Kyle's personality overnight, um, or use shame or, or other things to motivate yourself, you will flame out. The only thing that will empower us to live lives of love and service in a broken world is our relationship with Jesus. 
And one place where I think it's really clear that relationship flows into the mission of God is, is in prayer, which is one of the most intimate places, right, that we connect to the life of Jesus when we're communing with him in prayer. That space where we plead with God to send out people into the harvest, where we bring the brokenness that we're feeling and we say, God, would you do something? And he says, I've got you all teed up. Prayer is a place where time and time again, God has overwhelmed my fears with the reality of his love for people, which is so much deeper and more relentless and more patient and more courageous than I am. And he's given me the courage to speak. And all of that, again, it flows from relationships. So we pursue this mission rooted in relationship with Jesus. Second, we pursue this mission in the garden where we're planted. It can be tempting, I think, when we hear talks about mission or outreach to think about doing something big, getting on a plane and going somewhere far away, or starting a huge initiative that is going to change society. And God may give you big and dramatic opportunities for restoration. He's done that. So I I don't want to say that that's not possible. But what he's asking you to do right now is participate in the place where you are. So I encourage you to think, what's your garden? What are the plants around you in your classrooms, in your break room, at the coffee hound? Um, Where is God inviting you to be a picture of his goodness in the brokenness of the world around you? And then finally, the third way I think God is inviting us to live into this mission is with works and with words, with both actions and proclaiming. Jesus went around healing and saying that the kingdom of God was here. And so our mission must involve both. Our actions of good illustrate God's kingdom breaking into a broken world. But we also have to tell people that Jesus is the one who restores brokenness. And part of this is because God wants to restore people, but he's never going to force them. He always gives us a choice to respond to his grace. And so we have to invite. We get to be the people who gently issue God's invitation. Come and be healed. And again, our job is not to coerce people or trick them. We're just gently inviting. God is not coercive and neither are we. I want to admit that that the words part feels really scary to me. Some of us are works people. Some of us are words people. I would much rather do things than than verbally share this. You saw my triangle, but, but a through line, a theme of this whole series of every week has been that sometimes when things look really hard, that's actually the moment where God is breaking in and doing something beautiful. Building a relationship with God can be hard, it can take time, just like human relationships, but it leads to a beautiful intimacy. Kyle shared last week that community can be a place of great grief and pain and vulnerability as well as beauty and encouragement. And the space where you may feel the most awkward sharing or afraid, that may be the the space where, where God is working in someone's heart in a way that you may never know. And actually, it may not always be as awkward as you think, to use your words, when words are combined with a life that that pictures how the king restores broken people. And so, in closing, I want to share a little bit about my journey into understanding out, to illustrate what this can look like. 
Years ago, when I was a young grad student at the U of I, uh, there was a conference for our church network at the end of the semester. Um, and at that conference, God really tugged at my heart about my despair that I would never be a person who shared the gospel. And so, just broken at that conference, I grabbed a couple of staff people I didn't know and prayed at the side of the room and said, God, give me courage, change me. I can't do this. I need a miracle. And the prayer ended, and like, we sang songs. And then one of the staffers came back afterwards and looked me in the eye and said, I believe God is going to answer that prayer. I didn't note at the time, but that was Mike Clunky, which is kind of cool. So the year goes on, and God answers that prayer in so many ways. And I'm not going to tell you all of them because, you know, we have time limits. Um, but I'm going to tell you one story. At the end of the spring, I got a call that there was a new LT program um, that we were trying out in the Adirondacks. For those who don't know what LT is, it's leadership training. It's, a, it's like a 12-week summer program that we do where people work at um, like a summer resort, like a YMCA, and you have um, classes and trainings, and you, you learn how to follow Jesus, like in the context of living life in the world. It's really beautiful. Um, but they were starting one in upstate New York, and they asked if I wanted to come. And I needed money, so I said yes. And uh, this was a new program. There weren't a lot of people, so I was the only person I knew who ended up going for my church. Since I didn't have a friend to request as a roommate, uh, I went with random selection. And I will never forget getting into my room and meeting two incredibly shy women from Slovakia. English was a little bit limited. Um, we were all terrified. We had no idea what we were getting into. We were crammed in this tiny room. And I thought, oh, no. Uh, we all ended up working in the same place, too, so we saw a lot of each other. We were in the dining hall at the YMCA, which is uh, an incredibly hectic and stressful job. I actually saved my hot pad from the dining hall when I left to remind myself that no matter how bad my work gets, it will never be the dining hall. Um, and through the ins and outs of kitchen life and free time, my roommates and I became really good friends. Uh, they taught me how to say things in Slovak, like, you're the worst roommate ever, and I'm going to die. Um, at night, we would talk about all sorts of things as we drifted off to sleep in that 5.20 a.m. wake-up call. And in this wildly natural way, as we shared life, they started to get curious. Conversations got deeper, they drifted into spirituality, and it was weird for me. My whole life I thought sharing the gospel was this canned presentation, and so I found myself looking around for, for hidden cameras. Was I being spiritually punked by God when my, when my classmate said, so yeah, tell me about Jesus, what's church like in your country? Like, what do you think about God? Here's what I think. And then one day, in a way that felt unbelievably natural, I, had to sh I got to share with one of them about King Jesus and his plan to restore all things, and I got to invite her into it. She didn't choose to follow Jesus at that moment, but we're still friends, and I know that God is still at work in her story. And that summer and that whole year restored my faith that God really does want to work through your friendships and mine, in the gardens, in kitchens, in classrooms where we're planted, to bring restoration. He longs for us to partner with him in that work, through our prayer, through lives of authentic kindness, and through words that honestly and explicitly point to Jesus. Maybe like me, you have some hang-ups around mission. Maybe you've despaired that it isn't for you. I want to tell you that there's hope. Mission is in your blueprint, 
and it's in the restored identity that God is bringing to bloom in you. I promise you, if you ask God for help, and if you're willing to follow where he points a path, he will take you on a journey of becoming a herald of his kingdom, and it is so much better than any fears or doubts you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you that while you are not coercive, while you don't force us into your kingdom, you are relentlessly inviting us. Thank you for the ways that your goodness follows us even in the broken and bleak places. I pray that no matter where we are at right now, when, it, when we think about your mission, or we think about just, just getting through our lives right now, I pray that you would meet us, that you would show us, that you would nudge us towards a response that meets where we're at and that you would help us to take that step of faith and follow you and discover your grace, just waiting to leap out and meet us. We love you, but you love us so much more. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.